All right, so let's look in Psalm 119 and <clears throat> Psalm 119. <clears throat> right in the middle of the Bible is Psalm 119. And again, our, we've been doing a series on Sunday morning, Looking Unto Jesus series. And one way to look to Jesus is not to get a good telescope and really look harder and out into the heavens and see if you can see through heaven. Through. That's not to have a more powerful telescope looking to Jesus. That, that, that's not going to help. One way you can see Jesus, though, is through just uh, a prayerful observing of the Scripture. In other words, to put it really simply, just to be a regular Bible reader is one way you are actually looking to Jesus. You're looking to Jesus. Jesus Himself said about the Bible and the Scriptures in your lap, He said, these are they which testify of Me. That's what He said. And Peter added, all the prophets give witness about Him. It's kind of like a mosaic where you step back and you see the great picture and you see a bigger picture, sometimes you might not see it up close. Sometimes reading in the Bible, you might get lost in some details, although He's in details too. But if you step back, you see Jesus in the whole Bible. And if that's the only thing I could tell you, kind of a first person, if a person just got a Bible and they didn't know much, but they knew Jesus was their Savior, the first thing I would tell them is this. The whole Bible, you know Jesus but the whole Bible is really about Him. And so today, the main goal, probably t today and I plan next Sunday, is a simple lesson that some of you may have felt like, well, I've kind of outgrown that or that's beyond me, is just to want to give you reasons to just read the Bible, reasons to read Scripture. Well, so we plan to do that today with four points and then four more points next Sunday, okay? Psalm 119, and <clears throat> it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And so many verses we could look at. We'll take a sampling of them today in our, to, in our time. But let's just, to, as a way to begin, let's only look at verse 93. I'll read it the first time. The second time, you'll read it with me together. Psalm 119, verse 93. Psalm 119, verse 93. Here, I'll read it first. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Let's read it together. Begin, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. All right, uh, let's see, Where's my? I don't see my Jimmy, he's not in here. All right, so I'll do this myself. How many of you have read, anybody read a book this year, uh, or you're partway through reading a book, besides the Bible? Anybody reading a book this year? All right, anybody get through a book already? Okay, how many of you, I want to ask you this, <clears throat> how many of you have who have read a book this year, did you before you read the book? Did you at all look at the? Um, let's see here. Did you look at uh, the back of the book or the inside leaf to to see what other people say about it? Did you do that? You kind of looked and see. Okay, let me. I got some books here. All right, I got some books here, and, and uh, just to say a few things about. So usually you do that, right? Like, let me let me show you the first book. Um, I got four books. Two of the four I've read. The the, the other two have not. 
This is one called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And I do. By the way, I recommend this book. This is a good book. I gave it to the leaders of our church, or about four guys, four guys about five years ago. Had them all read it, and we brought some messages on it on a Sunday night about technology and cell phone use and how it's affecting us. But a book like this, let's say, so you grab a book, you look at it. Here, I look at the back of this book. Okay, 12 volumes of your phone is changing. Pretty interesting. Here's what other people say. One of the most important little books of the 21st century that a Christian could read. Another guy said, or it actually was a lady, uh, hopeful, helpful, humbling, and inspiring. Another person said, informed, fair, and attentive to the subtleties, theologically insightful. So that's good. That makes me like, well, maybe this is good. Here's another book. I've never read this book, and I can't quite, I, don't, I couldn't endorse it because I haven't read it. It's actually been out since 2000 or since 1990 called The Things They Carried. This guy was a former, this guy was a Vietnam veteran. This is actually a fictional book. It's not even true. But he takes this kind of real event and fiction, kind of blends them together and entertains people. A lot, there's probably 25 endorsements on this book. They're on the back, they're on the inside. New York Times, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times says the best of these stories. None is written, you know, they just, they start, anyways, a glowing thing here. USA Today says this book is stunning. Wall Street Journal, powerful. Another one says very clever astonishing, eloquent. It goes on to give their endorsements and makes you think, whoa, this must be awesome. All right, so there's some endorsements on the back and in the inside of this one. I haven't got to read this one too. I know Brother Adam did and I think he did for a little while a Bible study about this. Pastor Chapel, who would be a pastor friend of ours in our circles, uh, wrote a book about the home, making homework. He's got endorsements on the back from different pastors and around the United States. On the inside, he has some endorsements from other pastors, and actually a, a director of the uh, RNC gave an endorsement of this. That's interesting. Here's another one that I read almost the whole thing. <clears throat> it's called Mending the Soul. This would be a, on a serious subject. It's called Understanding and Healing Abuse. And uh, this was actually pretty helpful, not because I've been abused, but I have to help people with things like that. And I highly recommend somebody to read something like this. It has been helpful uh, for those who have been on that side. Lots of endorsements in here by uh, Christian leaders in here, skillfully written, weaves together sound theology and insightful biblical uh, exposition to help people. Um, uh, let's see, another one, another person says, let's see, he's made an enormous contribution to understanding the biblical, social, and psychological dimensions of abuse and its impact on our society and church. He deals with it, etc., uh, etc. Et et Here's a person, actually, a U of A professor endorsed it, and this is all. This is a thoroughly biblical book in the sense of it's it's writing, helping people with matters of sexual, physical, verbal abuse, using scripture to guide, scripture to guide you in that. So, anyways, I thought well, that's interesting. People have made their endorsements of this book and this book and this book and this book. What are they doing? The reason why people do that. The reason why, and you can grab a book that you like and you'll see that most of the time on the back or on the inside. Why does an author make sure that there's some kind of shout-outs, endorsements on the outside or the inside, even if it's just a few? Why would an author do that? He would do that 
to give you a reason to read it. That's why he would do that. And he'll pull from, you know, this, this respected voice and that respected voice. It is interesting, the fact, there's, a, there's interesting things about this center chapter of the center of your Bible, the longest chapter, many, many interesting things about it. But one of the most interesting things to me is the fact that almost every verse mentions a promotion about the Bible. It's really testimonies about, hey, look what happened when I read this book. In other words, God has all these testimonials right in the middle of your Bible, in the middle longest, in the longest chapter in the Bible, that give you a reason to read it. It's its own internal endorsements. That's really kind of like what, that is what Psalm 119 is. It's an endorsement of the rest of the Bible. And it happens to be the massive, largest chapter has kind of a way they organize it with Hebrew letters and two uh, Hebrew letters and eight verse uh, uh, you know uh, segments. But isn't that interesting? God wants to endorse His own book. That makes sense. So <clears throat> the book of books. In fact, this, listen to what this guy said about God's book on on, on that thought. Listen to what this guy said. Now, he writes a book about, you know, he wants us to re-recognize, on a side note, kind of how our phones are affecting us, changing us. And he's not saying it's bad. He's saying use it as a tool. Don't be abused by it. Don't let it use you. Control it. Don't let it control you. He says, in the smartphone age, we are bombarded by, we are, bond, we are bombarded daily by the immediate. Yeah. Facebook updates, blog posts, and breaking news stories. Yet the most important book for our souls is actually ancient. He even says, we need the life-living gust of the Spirit from God's ancient book to sweep through us. That's good. The most important book is ancient. Our God's Word demands, listen to this statement, God's Word demands our highest levels of literary concentration. You know why we like memes and tweets? Because we just don't have that high of an intelligence. <laughs> Maybe I don't. It's easy. It's like candy. Oh, yeah, oh that's funny. Oh, watch this little 10-second video. Oh, 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 was it? We just feed on junk food stuff for our mind. But I like what he says here. He says, you know, and by the way, there, God has tweets and posts in here. Proverbs are kind of like that, kind of short statements. But he also has other stuff. That's a little more meaty. Then he has stuff that's historical and prophetical. It's a variety. It's a big pantry right here of all kinds of food. But here's he, he says this. Sorry, I, I, I digress. God's Word demands our highest levels of literary concentration because it requires relational reading, not superficial chit-chat, but the covenantal concentration of marriage vows. God's Word is an invitation for us to orientate our affections and desires His way. Isn't that good? That's pretty good. He says here, those early morning hours of life are vital for spiritual health and for making progress in the spiritual battles we face every day. Endorsing the practice of trying to get into the Bible in the morning. That's a general, as a general, that's a good practice. He says, Satan knows those earning, earning early morning hours are vital and he wants to destroy our devotional life 
And if He cannot get us to simply ignore the habit, He will distract our thoughts and break them up into a thousand vanities. That's pretty good. That, since that's so true, I thought, you know, I just want to, even though it sounds real elementary and like, hey, come on, I'm past this. I just want to spend two messages to say, man, let's read our Bible. Let's give ourselves reasons to read it a little bit each day. That's all I want to do. So here we go. First point. Uh, why? why? Why should I read the Bible? First point, most important point, because it's true. <laughs> It's true. Look at verse 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Now, I grant it, the Bible is promoting itself. The Bible is saying, proving itself. It's saying, I'm true. But it is true, and it, there's other things we could say that are kind of circumstantial, other evidences that we can be investigators to say, yeah, that is true. That points to validity of it. But let's just consider the thought in and of itself. By itself, verse 160, Thy word, the psalmist says, Thy, speaking to one person, God, word is true from what? From the beginning, from the time He starts speaking, let alone recording it in the Scriptures that we have here, from the time God utters, it's true from the beginning. From in the beginning, God created. That is true. Don't twist it and try to find a little loophole of evolution in that. No, that's plain and true. He says, thy word is true from the beginning. And not only did he say it's true, it's, it endures, it's preserved. We believe in the pres preservation of Scripture. Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. There's a book that cannot be put out of print. Even if men put it out of print, God still has a copy in heaven in the clouds, literally. Thy forever, O word, thy Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. But God's word will never pass away, he says. It'll endure forever. So, so, all right. So, yeah, it's true. Everything he says. So if God says something about himself, it's true. If God says something about you, it's true. Now, if you think something about you, it may or may not be true. If you think something about God, it may or may not be true. That's why you kind of sometimes watch out for movies that try to humanize God and stuff and like, nah, that's man's ideas. But when God says something about himself, that's true. If God says something about science, it's true. Did you know God said things about, in the Old Testament, out of human's blood? How vital it is and shouldn't just be bleeding people. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And it took years for men to actually consent to that. They bled our first president to death. They thought they was going to get some sickness out of him. But the life of the flesh is in the blood. Uh, God says certain things, medically speaking, scientifically speaking. Not that the Bible's trying to be a medical book. Not that the Bible's trying to be a science book or astronomy book or whatever one of that, astronomy, astrology, astronomy. It's not trying to be that. It's just if God says something in passing, even if He just says it in passing, it's right. It's not an error like me. I might say something in passing that's wrong. But if God says something about something, it's true. You know, when the story of Joshua and Jericho and the walls of Jericho came down and there were, there were a lot of secular historians that said, you know, we've discovered Israel, we've discovered Bethlehem, we've discovered, but we, this Jericho stuff, we've not discovered that. That must not be true. And then 50, 75 years ago, they'd excavate and find Jericho. You know, God is true. And even if they haven't found something yet, I'm at the point where I'm like, ah, he's got it, you know. I haven't seen heaven yet, but I believe it's true. Thy word is true, it's true, it's scientifically, historically, prophetically. Every, the Bible has some prophecies in it. 
a lot in the Old Testament. We know that. And when God put a timing on it, which is only a few where he specified some exact times, whenever he did, and the time has come to pass, it came and it happened. He's got a 100% success rate on his prophecies. And there's still prophecies yet unfulfilled, but no prophecy has been proven to be false, like Joseph Smith has. You can find them. And like Charles Taz Russell and Joseph Rutherford, who were some of the early leaders of the Jehovah's Witness group, the Watchtower, they have false, proven false prophecies. And even some of the charismatic leaders on TBN have had made prophetic statements and had false things said. But God has, we just, that's why you're like, hey, don't, you know, we don't need any predictions. Just stick with God's predictions because those will be right, you know. God's word is true. Did you know, you've heard me say this, but I want to emphasize it because sometimes people beat us over the head. We get secularists beat us over the head. Oh, you're just, you know, the people say crazy stuff. Oh, it's just, you know, just the, 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 uh, the church changed that thing over time. And uh, they pull out crazy stuff, you know. Yeah, they, you know, it's just men wrote that. and Well, men did write it because they had God guiding them. And people say things to deny. It's just some kind of, it's been around so long. The Bible's been around so long. It's just been changed hundreds and hundreds of times. And you don't even really know what God said. But do you know, in reality, in reality, even stepping back and having just an objective, like kind of more of like an observer of ancient documents mindset, the Bible, I'm finding, is one of the best, if not the best, well-documented forms of ancient literature. The Bible, your Bible, is, even though it's in English in your lap right now, and half of it, more than half came from Hebrew, the other part, one-third came from Greek, those two resources are some of the most well-documented forms of ancient literature in existence. People believe in Julius Caesar and the wars of Julius Caesar and Plato and Aristotle and Homer's Iliad and some of these ancient forms of literature. And there's less manuscript evidence for those things being true. I don't say they're not true. I'm just saying there is more Wait, there's more manuscript evidence. That means old forms of the, the scrolls and old copies of script. There's more of that to authenticate the Bible in your lap than there are some of these secular things that we learn in school. His word is true, and it has a lot of substance to it. It's good to think on what's true. It's nice to kind of, you know, tell stories and entertain ourselves with, fancy ourselves sometimes with things that are not true just for the fun of it. But by and large, our mind and our thought processes need to be most rooted in that which is true and real. I told, I think I said this earlier in the year, you can watch, excuse me, all the 11 Star Wars. There's a lot of Star Wars. There's like the main movies and then there's the little side movie, side shows of Obi-Wan and this person and it's kind of like branching out into infinity you know eternity i guess but the all the the first or the 11 main star wars movies you can watch i read in about 25 hours the marvel movies you could watch and those are the same thing they kind of have these little side movies 
the main ones, I think there's about 23 of them um, from, I think, 2008 to 2019. Those, whatever was made in those times, 23 of those, you know how long it would take you to watch all 23 of those, approximately? You tried it, huh? <laughs> three days. I got 50 hours. Maybe if you get a little bit of sleep, three days, I don't know. Now, again, the site, it's, complex. it's a complex discussion, okay, among Marvel people. If you watch other, other you know, side shows about this person, then that's different. But it's like about 50 hours to all the main ones and then all the main Star Wars. So that's what, 50 plus 25? 75 hours you can watch all those cool things. And maybe they're okay. I haven't seen every one of them, so I can't speak for every one of them. But 75 hours. And the fact is, let's be honest, most Americans have watched all of those. Well, most guys, most people 20 and under, or 30 and under, you know, I, I like the Marvel, and you get in these geeky discussions about it, you know. That's crazy. Geeky, the Trekkies and the Star Wars people, that's my generation. They, are you a Trekkie? Are you a Star Wars? And it's so dumb. They get in these little discussions. And the same thing with the Marvel group. You're going, huh. And you think, what is this about? It's about stuff that's not even true, please. It's not true. Let's fuss over truth. Let's contend for the faith. We're going to fuss over something. So anyways, 75 hours. Do you know how long, if you were to try to read your Bible in the year, it would take all of 72 hours out of your life to read it at a moderate pace, three and a quarter chapters a day. If you wanted to extend it over the year, three and a quarter chapters a day. If you wanted to just buckle down, like, you know, call her, you want to do three days, 72 hours straight. You could read it in 72 hours. And some of us have read, have not read, some of us have had the Bible longer than we've had chance to watch all these movies. And we should, we should say, have I ever read through the whole Bible? At least give God a chance first. Before you finish reading, listening to all these other things and watching all these other movies, say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I read through the entire Bible before I try to say I've watched every whatever movie. Because which one really matters, the fiction or the truth? The truth matters. The truth. You know what Jesus said? This is Jesus. Sanctify. He prayed for us. He prayed for you and I. He's prayed, Father, speaking of all the people that are believing and that will believe, set them apart. What sets us apart? That means sanctify. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What really sets me apart to be the kind of Christian I need to be is not knowing all the cool things of contemporary entertainment. That's not what sets me apart. What sets me apart is just having a, a life that knows God's Word does, and tries to live it and soaks that into my thinking. That's what sets us apart. Truth. Here's another reason. It's completely true. Number two, why should I read my Bible? You should read it, get it, find a place to start reading it because it's true, but also number two, let's go back to Psalm 119 at the beginning. It's because you know what it does? It creates and it causes joy and praise. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. Again, promotional statements. The psalmist says, I will praise thee, verse 7, with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. That's pretty good. Think about what that says. The psalmist says, there's a cause and effect here. The effect is what? We see the effect. I'm going to praise God, not just any way, but with an upright heart. I'm going to praise God with a right heart, uprightness of heart. What's going to make you do that? Well, when I have learned, 
thy righteous judgments, he says. That is the cause, the effect is proper praise. Again, being a person who thinks and reads and considers, here's it preached like we're doing today, that effect, learning God's judgments, believe in them. Judgments, commandments, precepts are kind of synonymous for saying the Bible. Learning that has this process in a person to where it says, it comes out as, I'm going to praise God, which he does deserve to be praised, but he deserves to be praised in an upright way. That is proper, sincere heart. It's not just singing a song because it makes me feel good or I like the cool, you know, movements of it. No, it's be, that's nice, but it's because I really love the Lord and this is my offering to Him. I have a theory that I think could be, that is tied to these verses is that I think if our church or any church says the primary thing we do is teach the Bible and make it understandable and teach and preach and, and we focus on that, it's not so much entertainment or even tons and tons of time in worship. But the primary thing we do is help people get into the Bible, know what it says in Jude and in Ruth and in Old, and we teach it and preach it and we encourage with it. I think if a church makes that priority, the right kind of worship will grow out of that. Because the psalmist said, it does with me. I learn right, I praise you with uprightness of heart because I've, when I've learned thy righteous judgments. But when the Bible becomes just kind of something to sprinkle on a gathering, you know, throw out a few little things and have a nice little chat with some scriptures thrown on it, that's usually the sign of a church that's doing something else is the big deal. The show and the lights and the everything else and the program, some other side program is a, but, but I think when, you know, it, it, the scripture helps guide our worship. Notice something else, okay? What is it? What, so why should I read my Bible? Man, it helps me praise God. And it, and it also gives me a joy. Look what it says in verse 162, 162. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Now, spoil doesn't mean all oh, that gross stuff you found in the fridge. Man, that stuff's gone bad. No, spoil is a word where it's like, it's all the, when, the, when they went and conquered a country, the goods, yay, we got all the jewelry and all the uh, merchandise that was spoil. It's like, man, I found a cool deal. I found great spoil. I found a big old um, uh, thing of something valuable here in God's Word. You know, I, I told you, I think I told you this last year. I read a, uh, when did, where did this happen? I think it actually happened here. There was a lady in a bookstore. She was going through uh, books and she found like, you know how people carve out a little thing in a book and they put money or something in it? it well, you don't have to tell me if you're doing that. But anyways, uh, some people do that. You know, they're like, my little hidden spot on the shelf and I pull it out and they got some, something in there. Well, this late, this, at a used bookstore, they're going through books. Oh, yeah. You know how some, they just, sometimes they go pretty fast through it and they just pass over. Well, this one lady went like that and she's like, oh, wait, a note came out. And the note, she's like, oh, wait a minute. And she looked at the note and it had like something to the effect of, it had a note about some money. And there was a bunch of money, I think maybe $3,000 or something. Bunch of money, and she's like, "What? Whoa!" And so she decided to—I don't know—there was evidence of the name of the donor, and so she tracked down this. It was actually found the daughter of the man who put it in there. Tracked them down. And said, "Look, we found this in here," and the daughter was like, "Okay," and 
well, basically the money I believe was intended to go to that daughter or the family, and the dad had put it in there. And uh, I think he had forgotten about it. You know, and there was kind of this humor, humorous exchange that the daughter had with her dad. Dad, why didn't you tell me, you know? But the lady at the bookstore found it, brought it, and showed it to the daughter. And the daughter's like, wow, that's great. You know, again, we have a book on our shelf, the book in your lap that's sometimes on the shelf. It has, it's true, it's, and it produces rejoicing. It's like finding great spoil, like finding a treasure in there. You find something in the Bible that you read about yourself that you didn't know or something about God that you're like, oh, that is really cool about God or some event that you saw happen in the life of Asa, one of the Old Testament kings. Wow. And it's like you just, I found a little treasure. I didn't know that was in there. When's pastor going to preach on that? You know, blame me. But what's the point? Why should I read the Bible? Because it's going to cause some praise and joy and it might cause praise and joy because you're like, wow, I found something pretty neat. And that helps me right now. Verse 171, look at just a few over there. My lips shall utter praise. Well, what's going to cause that? When thou hast taught me thy statutes. I remember Brother Marshall, he was an evangelist that we had in our church, John Marshall years ago, and I remember one time in one of our revival meetings, I was like, maybe we should do that. He goes, you know, maybe we should just preach first a lot and then sing, because maybe the singing will be a little better. He just kind of said that off the cuff, and then he went along with the thing, and we never did. I thought, maybe that might be a time to do that. Maybe something will, the preaching will generate some better praise. He said, I will, my lips ought to praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. So next time, Brother Adam... If you're up here leading singing and people are like, I'm not uttering praise, then you say, all right, pastor, just come up and preach, and then you can come lead singing. Maybe we should try it. Maybe we should try it. Not a bad idea. All right, why to read the Bible? Well, it causes joy and praise. Find out. Do it and find out. Number three, three of four that we'll look at today, <clears throat> the third of fourth of four, uh, it, verse nine, verse nine. The next thing, it helps cleanse our ways. It helps us cleanse our ways. Verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking thereto according to thy word. Now, we'll get to the people who aren't young men, but let's just deal with this verse. Obviously, this verse is saying that the benefit of, taking, of reading and taking heed to the scriptures that you have in your lap is that it benefits a young man. What does it do? How's he going to cleanse his way? But taking heed thereto according to thy word. Hey, young men get dirty. We're not talking about because they run around out in the backyard or because they didn't wash behind their ears and like their mama said and they've been, you know, playing football. Do we get it's talking about another kind of dirty? You know, young men. It's not just teenagers, younger men. You know, younger men get have all these desires, all these interests, and all these curiosities, and they tend to get into dirty stuff. And they're like, man, ah, you gotta cleanse your way. Here's where to start. Spiritually, intellectually, taking heed there. Don't get over the simplicity of that statement, I think. It helped me as a young man. It helped me when I committed daily to read the Bible, and for the most part daily ever since then in 1990. It helped me cleanse my way. It still does. Look at verse 11. Say, I'm not an old man, or I'm not a young man, I should say. 
I'm not a young man. Verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. So I don't know if this psalmist was a young man when he said it, but he says what helps him not sin against God is, is that Bible memory. See, it's not just for MBT kids and King's kids. It's for all of us. Bible memory. I'm going to, next week, I want to tell you a story about a guy who was a POW in um, Vietnam and how he survived. And his long testimony of how he survived in Vietnam as a POW and with another man. And part of it was he was pulling back. He didn't have a Bible. Pulling back the things he had memorized here and there or heard as a child from the Bible. It helped him survive. I hope to look at that next week. But what is it saying here? The note is, all right, I'm dirty. I messed up. He's thinking he's dirty. I'm, i got some bad habits. Well, um, what does it say in the Bible? Oh, stop doing that. Stop thinking this way. Or think this way about God and He will guide your thoughts. There's all kinds of angles the Bible comes at. I'm not about to solve them all right now. There's an angle that God has on pornography. There's an angle God has on theft and petty theft. There's some verse and verses that God has about being covetous and being a liar and having envy or having hatred or having anger. God has an angle and a word on every one of those things to cleanse us. Verse uh, 133 says, Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Order my steps. God, you tell me the next step because I don't want to be dominated by any iniquity. That means any sin. Well, there you go. The psalmist has got his testimonials. He's got his promotional statements for us to get into the Bible. One of them is, he'll make you clean. I read about Franklin Graham. He's the son of the famous Billy Graham who died a few years ago. Franklin Graham runs. He still does some evangelistic work, but it seems like he focuses a lot on his Samaritan's Purse, uh, uh, you know, um, charity. It's pretty, pretty neat. It's worldwide, or he tries to get worldwide what he does, helping people and putting the gospel in there. But Franklin Graham, I read that, of course, he was a bad preacher's kid, if you know anything about him. He wasn't, he wasn't a good boy. Later on in life, well, he was still younger, but he finally committed, gave his life to Christ and was saved later after kind of having some rebellion. And I read something about him. Now, listen to this. Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, had a problem smoking. He gets saved, and he still has a problem smoking. He's like, I thought it'd be over. Nope. Here's what he says. He was purposed. Uh, he was surprised to find that his taste for cigarettes was still as strong as ever after he was saved. He determined to quit smoking, but three days later, he awoke with an, what he says in an absolutely overwhelming, almost terrifying desire for a cigarette. He said, I wanted to smoke so badly I couldn't think of anything else. It intensified with each passing minute. Throughout the day, the yearning for a cigarette grabbed me like the jaws of a junkyard dog. Now, some of you that had gotten over cigarettes, you know what he's saying. He said, I finally um, discussed my struggle with a friend of mine. Uh, his name's Roy Gustafson. He said, Roy, they were, out, they were out eating, talking. He said, Roy, he said, I quit smoking, but I don't think I can hold out. I don't think I have the power to say no any longer. Oh, you don't, huh? His friend said. He said, why don't you just get down on your knees and tell God he's a liar? Franklin Kim's kind of surprised. He's like, I'm not going to do that. 
I can't do that, he said. Then Roy, his friend, quoted. He says, well, what about 1 Corinthians 10, 13? It says, there has no temptation taken you. It means captured you. But such temptations are as common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you, allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Why don't you just call God a liar then on that one? And um, he said, his friend, no, his friend says, you need to tell God he's a liar. And you claimed that verse and it didn't work. And Franklin Graham said, I'm not going to call God a liar. Besides, I haven't claimed that verse yet. And his friend said, you didn't? He goes, no. Why don't you then? He said, all right, I will. He did, and it worked. You know, he, there's, a, there's aspects of that verse that he captured and held God to, said, God, you said, when I get in this fix, you're going to help me. And it helped him. How would that man cleanse his way? Taking heed to the promises of God's word. And he, he pulled God's promise, said, God, I'm holding you to this promise. Help me through it. That's how the man got his cleansing. On that note, of many sins we could talk about, but on that note. So everything I'm saying here is like, well, there's another reason to read the Bible. Let's look at the last one that we'll look at for today and we'll pick up next week. It's verse 24, we learn this. Here's another reason. Why should I read the Bible? Well, there's a promotional statement in the middle in verse 24 that says it's, it's a great delightful counselor. Verse 24, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Now, some of us, how many of us have ever been to a counselor of any sort? Okay. If you ever went to a counselor in school, when I was in school, if you went to a counselor, that means you were busted. You're in trouble. I think I only went once. But uh, not that I was only busted once, but, you know, you're like, oh, I got to go see the counselor or the vice principal that's got that toupee on. I feel like grabbing anyways. So, sorry, I got a little personal there. Um, uh, you know, watch, I'm going to have to wear a toupee one day. <laughs> you know, you get count- counselors are good. You know, you go maybe a paid counselor, you go see somebody. Not against that. Hear counsel, be wise, refuse it not, the Bible says. Of course, you want good counselors, people that have a mind that's Godward and rooted in Scripture and Bible values. Um, we get counsel. You get legal counsel, right? It's not bad to have counsel. The psalmist says, he says, these things are my counsel. Now, this is interesting. Let me just tell you something. All right. Most likely, this was a guy. It could have been David. We don't, I don't know for sure who this was. Somewhere probably maybe from Ezra's day back. So... This guy, whoever this is, didn't even have the New Testament. He had a lot of like law stuff and Genesis, some history in Genesis and First and Second Samuel. He had some history and some law and some prophecy, maybe a few of the Proverbs, maybe a few Psalms. And yet he says, "Yeah, I don't." He didn't even have the whole Bible, is what I'm saying. And he says, "You know what? I'm. This is my delight, and he counsel me, gives me counsel. Talk, yep, chatting to my ear. Oh, that's good. That's good counsel there. That's what he says." You know, some people are finding counsel in dangerous places. I read about Carlos Santana. He's a singer. I think he did maybe in the 70s and resurged again in the 90s or something. I don't know. But I read about him. Carlos Santana, of course, he's a 
Grammy award-winning musician, sold, he sold more than 10 million copies of just one album alone. This album was called uh, Supernatural. And so uh, I read, though, I didn't know this about him. Somebody had interviewed him, a reporter interviewed him, and he openly informed uh, people of the influence of an angel in his life. And he credits his success with this angel. He calls this angel Metatron. He says this angel is the highest uh, angelic being that's been created. Ding! I should put a ding in your mind if you're a Christian Bible reader, right? Well, Brother Rusty was telling us about the highest angelic being ever created. He had a good name too, Lucifer, bearer of light. But Lucifer, the highest angelic being created, is the greatest deceiver and the arch enemy of God and you. But Carlos Santana thinks Metatron is his spirit guide. He said that he meditates. He hears the angel's voice as he meditates in front of his fireplace often. He said that um, the, 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 re, the reporter goes on to describe with candles flickering, intense incense burning, and a yellow legal pad at one side, Carlos Santana says he sits in his, his living room, in his room, softly chanting. All of a sudden, Carlos says, I hear his voice. It's an inner voice, and I know I can trust it. His voice has told me that I would be able to connect molecules with light over radio frequencies so that my music would be popular again. And then he said to the reporter, with perfect confidence, you know, you can trust his voice. His voice will never take you to the desert. Well, we know enough that this Metatron, probably a demon, and it won't take us, may not take us to the desert, but it would, may take somebody to hell. You see, people are, by the way, demonism and witchcraft is just getting revived in this country. And it's finding its way entertainingly into our media and stuff. We kind of watch out for that stuff. And so he's connected with this, and it's a demon. It looks like all indications a demon. He's getting counsel from a demon, and it seems to be making him successful. Ozzy Osbourne had that too, but he's probably made a pact with the devil. And other people, do you see what I'm saying? Just because you're like, well, I'm doing this successful. Yeah, but we got to make sure my counsel is from God's word, from God's, led by, by God's spirit, not another spirit. Thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors. Look at verse 105. 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's not darkening my life. It's shedding light on my life. My path, whether it's good or bad, I want light on it. God sheds light on what it is and where it should go. Verse 98. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. So God's word is our delight and our counselor. We need that. I was talking to somebody recently, and you know that we mentioned this a while back, and about one of the, the number one, I don't mean to demean any, any, anybody, but you know the number one um, psychological slash emotional problem in the United States, of all the things, the number one problem is anxiety. 
anxiety, carefulness, and worry. You know, there's other problems. There's like, you know, anger and all these other things and uh, you know, these clinical people are clinically diagnosed with some polar thing, bipolar. And all. But the number one problem is anxiety. And what's really interesting, we said this last, I think, spring or summer when we preached in, Rev- in Philippians, is that that is the thing, that's the one thing Paul addresses in Philippians 4. He thoroughly addresses, and he calls it carefulness, being careful, just full of care about everything. And he addresses it by talking about one of the solutions is being gratitude, having gratitude and having prayer about everything and deciding you're going to think on these categories and whatever, and and acting things that are like what Paul would do and, and learning contentment. Some people drive themselves nuts because they have not learned to be content. What I'm saying is, I realized, I was talking to somebody recently, and I said, you know what? And they didn't want to talk long. I said, Paul said something in Philippians 4 about anxiety. And I, I'm not against you going to a counselor. I'm not against you getting some other help. But before you do, go to this council, what Paul says. And say, God, apply this to me. What angle do I need you to hit me on this matter of personal anxiety? Give God's book the first chance to fix your problem. It's good enough for you to believe it to get to heaven. Then it should be good enough for me to believe it to get through the day. Right? It's my counsel. um, There was a guy, we'll close, I read about this this POW, not a POW, he was a a, uh, World War II... Uh, servicemen, a GI, and they're in the South. So in World War II, we were all over, the, we, were, we were in Europe, Northern Africa, and, and spread out in the South Pacific. That's where we we're fighting. And one of our GIs was on an island, South Pacific Island, Pacific Islanders there. And um, by the way, we had sent missionaries, our country and England had, has a history of sending missionaries in Scotland to, uh, or uh, Ireland to uh, all over the world, including... South Pacific, places where their people were cannibals and pagans and stuff, and they believed the gospel, it transformed their soul and transformed their life. Well, this GI was on this one island. Apparently, this an, an islander, a native, came up to him and been, become a Christian at some point. And he came up to this American World War II GI who the native assumes is a, this American. All Americans are Christians, right? That's what some people think. Comes up up to him, gladly holding his Bible, walks up to the GI. Read my Bible. And uh, the American says, you know, (laughs) he says, you know, we've we've gotten over that sort of thing. No, he said, we've outgrown, is what he said. We've outgrown that sort of thing. And the, the native smiled back and said, it's a good thing we have it. If it wasn't for this book, you'd have been a meal by now. And that's true. That is that you look at the history of American missions in the South Pacific. That's true. And I just say that's like, I don't want to get over, outgrow this simple thing, you know. Too sophisticated. No. Read, read the Bible. Make it part of your devotional life. Greatest thing, of course, the greatest word is Jesus himself who's called the Word. John 1.1, 1, 1, the Bible says, in the beginning was 
capital W, the Word. That is, Jesus pre-existed everything else. He was, the Word was with God, the Father, and the Word was God, the Son. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Bible says about Jesus being the Word. He's called, he's called this. He says, the, it's basically all Jesus. And as many as received Him, Jesus Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So I, I conclude with this thought that, you know, the most important thing is to understand who Jesus Christ is in the, in the gospel message of His being the Son of God, dying for your sins, and rising from the dead. And believing on Him, the most important word has been accepted. The most important word now you know. You know the gist of the Bible when you know Jesus. Now it's time to get into the rest of the details. That's basically what it, I'm saying to